0: Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Man, I'm ready to jump into the message today. Ready to jump into Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. Hopefully we're going to be able to finish Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. This is a tough one, man. This is going to be a long day. gonna be. This is just a nine o'clock service. Wow. Anyway, Cushions Kish, Kish, chapter 2. If you want to turn to Colossians chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 18. And uh, hopefully, we're going to make it through this entire um, chapter and move on to chapter 3. But, man, it's a powerful, this is the final warning that Paul is giving here in chapter 2. He had the first warning, which was do not let anyone trap you. Don't let anything trap you. Stay away from the traps. We spent a few weeks on that. Uh, Then he had a second warning. Don't let anyone judge you, um, specifically with regard to a few things. And so if you missed that sermon last week, you can hear the podcast online. Also, the video is online on our our Facebook page. You can check that out. But today I want to get into the third and final warning, uh, which Paul issues here in verse 18. He says, do not let anyone, now he describes the person here, Who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head. Dangerous place to be. They've lost connection with the head. Jesus is the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world or the the human wisdom of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom. That's key. Have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Sensual indulgence is sexual immorality. Interesting to me how he how he ends ends with that. Chapter two has not been about sexual immorality, Um, but man, it is it is interesting how when people are repressed, it is interesting how when there is self-imposed worship, false humility, and harsh treatment of the body, there's also a a lack of restraint regard to sexual immorality. So interesting. So Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit gives us this instruction do not let anyone who delights in false humility in the worship of angels do not let anyone disqualify you it's important that you don't let anyone disqualify you now the word disqualify um it's an interesting word it's only used twice in the bible uh only used twice in the entire new testament um and both of those times are in this letter uh the letter of Colossians. It's used the first time here in chapter 2, and the second time in chapter 3, verse 15. So before we go to chapter 3, verse 15, I want to tell you what the word means. The word is, the, the, the Greek word is brabuo, brabuo, and, and it means to be an, um, an umpire or a referee. It's kind of interesting. He says, Don't let anybody disqualify you, meaning uh, don't let anybody be a referee or an umpire. In your life, uh, the, 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 the original word means to be an umpire in a sporting event or a referee. Don't let anyone, he says, don't let any person be the referee in your life. Now, in chapter three, he kind of continues his thought. He, he, he uses this same word again, chapter three, verse 15. If we go to that, he says, instead, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now, that word rule is brabuo. Let the peace of Christ brabuo in your hearts, or let the peace of Christ be the umpire of your heart. Let, let the peace of Christ be the referee in your life. And so basically my sermon today is really based on that word brabuo, or to umpire or to referee, because the truth is we have a choice, unlike in the NFL, we have a choice as to who will be our referee. We have a choice who we will submit to. We have a choice as to who will be our referee. We can choose between people or peace. There are people, there is peace. So really my sermon today is 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 for anybody who maybe is finding it hard to find peace right now. Yeah, if you've if you're if you're in this room and you're struggling with with keeping peace, if you're losing Peace, if you, uh, if you have an absence of peace, it's probably because you have the wrong referee in your life. When people, when you allow people to be the referee of your life, then people can uh, throw the flags on your life. So just to get a little visual
1: demonstration, we got, got,
0: got a little whistle, because that's, that's, that's what the ref has. The ref has got a whistle and he's got a flag. And so when, when people are the referees of your life, they're the ones who can blow the whistle, tell you when time's up, and the ones who can throw a flag, tell you when you've committed a penalty, foul. Um, I don't know if you've ever had anybody throw a flag on you before. Uh Wives, this is not a good time to elbow your I heard I heard Mia, mm. She's just no, 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 it's all right. It's all right. It's not a good time to look at your spouse and be like, Yeah, I just threw a flag on him yesterday. Uh, I don't know if you had any person throw a flag on you before. But um, in a sporting event, I'll tell you, when, uh, when, when I was young, I started playing soccer pretty young. And um, I actually got pretty good at soccer, really enjoyed soccer. Soccer is good if you're short and fast, and that's just kind of what I am. And so short and fast guys do pretty good in soccer. I enjoyed soccer, but um, I, I was in a secular league. It wasn't a Christian league. It was just a, a league in my, in my hometown, and I was determined to represent Jesus well. And so I wanted to show the attitude of Jesus. I wanted to be a, a witness to those around me. And so I was really um, quite cautious about um, penalties. I didn't want to play dirty, you know. I didn't want to try to see what I could get away with. And so, um, and I probably pushed it a little bit far because um, there, was, there was one time, just early on, like whenever I would actually commit a penalty, like accidentally, and the, like if the ref didn't see it, I would, I would go tell the ref what I had done. And I remember one time I ran up to the like, like, because I was I was on defense and I actually was pretty good at defense center defender. That was my main role. I was on some championship teams, and um, there's there's a real trick to backing up with the guy who's coming and then letting him think that he's going to get past you and then stealing the ball. So you but you but you have to let him think. It's kind of like getting an interception in the NFL. You have to let him think that they're open. You know. And so the Legion of Boom can jump in there and do what they do. But the trick is, though, you have to hit the ball. You can't hit the guy's foot. You know what I mean? If anybody watching the World Cup, well, you cannot connect with another guy's ankle. This doesn't work. And so one time this guy is dribbling down. I, I go to get the ball. I miss the ball, take out his ankle. He trips, falls over the ball. We get the ball. And, and I'm, waiting for, I'm waiting for the flag. And there's no, well, actually, it's a, it's a card. And, Anyway, it's a card in, in, in that particular sport. But I'm, I'm waiting for the penalty, waiting for the whistle, and there's no whistle. There's no penalty. And so I'm like, man, and so, and, and so you know, the play's going down the field. So I'm running up to the ref, and I say, man, I, I tripped that guy back there. <laughs> and he looked at me like I was from outer space. He was like, you know, but it wasn't like a good outer space. Like, oh, look at this alien Christian, how kind and honest he is boy he just he just he's just honest isn't he no it was more like like shut up like that kind of thing i don't know i can say that in church but it was was kind of like you know just like whatever like you know and so and and so my coach called me over he's like harry what are you doing i'm like well you know i accidentally tripped the guy i'm trying to tell him you know that and he's like man you're not the ref and I I remember those words because while my intentions were to make sure I didn't cheat at all the truth is the reason why the ref looked at me ugly is because I was trying to take his job from him and if I'll tattletale on myself you better believe I'll probably tattletale on somebody else (laughs) Here in a little bit, I'll start telling the ref what other people that were doing some stuff they shouldn't be doing. And so this is this is I, I I don't know if this is my sermon title or not, but this is I feel like the Holy Spirit is telling somebody somewhere, you are not the ref. You don't have the flag. Fetch your spouse and tell him, You are not my ref. You are not my referee, you're not my ref. I just create all kinds of trouble. You can talk about it on the way home. You can, you can, you can work through this on the way home. I trust you. You'll be better for it. I'll be, you'll be better for Because and you say, well, why, why would you say that? Because, man, one of the temptations is to put our, make our spouses the referee of our life. Because how do, you know, how do you know if a person is the ref of your life? Let me tell you. It's the person you look to when the play is over.
1: Was that... Was that a clean hit? Was that a,
0: was that a good tackle? Was that a good coverage or was that pass interference? Because it's, it's the person. See, the role of the ref is not to tell you how to play, but rather they are only looking for stuff you do wrong. They're, they're they're, they're pessimist kind of people, you know. The whole time, no, not really. there, But the whole time, they're looking for what is going wrong. And they got that, the, in, in, in the NFL, they got the flag, like, tucked in their pants, I think. I don't know, like, what the tradition of that is. They like, have it tucked in their pants, and they're ready. As soon as they see somebody hold a little too long, as soon as they see somebody get a little hand in there during during, during the play, during the pass, or or, or maybe, maybe they jump off sides, I mean, they pull that flag and they throw it in the direction this is going to be a fun sermon. They throw it in the direction. So, all right, the next person to drop their phone, you're going, to get, you're going to get one of these just right in your general direction. This is what <laughs> Amy's like, I need to put my on silent. I never forgot about that. Put your phone on silent. You might get one of these right here. I'll tell you what. Uh, you, you, but you know, they throw it in the direction of the, offend, of the, of the offense. And so you can know, you can know if people are your referee, if they're the ones that you look to to see if the play was good. And we can do this in marriage a lot because, you know, uh, we, we reap a lot of benefits in marriage when we do good things, right? You know, some of us reap some benefits anyway. I'm just saying, if you're patient and kind with your spouse, they're often more patient and more kind with you. If you, if you treat them with thoughtfulness, if you get them flowers, uh, if you get ladies' flowers. Anyway, uh, it doesn't, that doesn't work with me, but chocolate works for me, coffee, you know. If you, you, you think about people, you're, con- you're kind, you're, it, you, it's kind of reciprocal. And so if you're, if you're not careful in some of our closest relationships, we can understand that it's reciprocal, and so as soon as we do something good or we do something bad, we turn and look to them to see the response that we get. When people are your referee, people's response is really the determining factor of your peace. Your peace and your joy determined by whether or not they throw a flag. Whether or not they blow the whistle. If they, if they blow the whistle, then oh man, I guess I messed up again. But, it, but, 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 but if they don't, then it was good. It was, a good. it was a good play. And it's a dangerous place to be in when you're checking in with people to see if you obeyed God or not. It's a dangerous place to be in. Because as, as, as a pastor, I can be checking in to see how many people like me or how many people are saying good things about me. And, and, it's, and it's good. If nobody likes you, there's probably a problem. <laughs> if, 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 if everybody that comes into contact with you walks away and is like, that guy's toxic, there's, you might have an issue. And so it's good to kind of get some feedback every now and then. But man, the, the, the flag throwing in your life has got to come From the peace of God otherwise you will lose your peace if you're always looking to people people will will be able to rob your peace and also people will be able to give you fake peace because they'll say that you're in bounds when really you're out of bounds they'll say that it was a good block when really it wasn't a good block you won't learn how to play the game so Anyway, if people are your... So in what areas might people be your referee? Well, uh, here in this New Testament passage, Paul gives us a couple of areas that people were throwing flags on the Colossian church. Uh, He says, number one, that they they had false humility. False humility. Uh, False humility, interestingly enough, in the original language, the, the word false is nowhere in there. There is a word for false in the Greek, but it's just not the word that was used. Actually, the word that is used is a word called "thelo" or thelos, which means intentional. So this this, this is interesting to me because the people that were throwing flags on them were trying to get them to be like them. And so the way that they were is they had a type of humility. By the way, humility is good. Uh, scripture talks about that a lot, that we ought to have a lowliness. There's actually two words for humility in the New Testament, a lowliness of mind and a lowliness of heart. Both of these are very good. A lowliness of mind has to do with how you think of, your, of yourself. And a lowliness of heart has to do with how you, how you believe. The heart it has to do with your belief system. And so both of these are encouraged in the New Testament. And in fact, First Peter says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So it's interesting to me when I, when, I, when I saw this passage that to say it's false humility is, I think the reason they translated it that way, because it, that's really what he's trying to get at. But the word he used was more like forced humility, more like intentional humility. And so, and so it's so weird that Peter would tell us, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And then Paul would say, would say but don't have intentional humility. <laughs> don't do it on purpose. The word "thelos" is to plan or to say, I will. And yet, I mean, I could preach a wonderful sermon about the power of saying I will. You know, I will raise my family in a, in a godly way. I will pray and read my Bible. I will attend church. I will. There's a, there's a lot of power to the word I will, and there's a lot of good power to that word. But there's some things that Paul says that word doesn't apply. Because true humility is not the result of a determination to be humble. Here, I should say that again. True humility is not the result of a determination to be humble. In fact, if you struggle with pride, one of the first things pride will tell you when you come into the church is man, we got to get rid of pride. We got to become humble because, because, it, because, because those prideful people are all stuck up and they're all, and that's not us. So if we want to be perfect, we got to get rid of pride, and pride will always wants to be perfect. And so the, it's so funny how one, one of the one of the one of the worst prayers you can pray—I was going to say dumb or stupid—but I'm just saying one of the most off prayers you could pray is God make me humble. It doesn't, it doesn't usually work that way. It's like people who pray God make me patient. But do it now. I need patience right now, Lord. Make me patient right now. I'm in traffic. Lord, give me patience now. Well, if he gave you patience now, he'd have to take it away from you as soon as he gave it to you. Because you haven't exercised the muscle to be able to hold the weight of the patience you're asking for. So he doesn't hand out and dole out patience. Instead, he asks you to, to to work that muscle, to work out a little bit. Something that they're doing at 5 a.m. on Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays here at the church. I am not participating. I don't need to work out that muscle. I'm fine being skinny. I'm good with it. I'm I'm I am i am i am lovely. It's less fat when I'm older, you know? It doesn't turn to fat when you, anyway. So I am I'm, I'm just saying like 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 the, the, the weight of what he what you're asking for, you you have to he, he wants you to work out a way to be able to hold it. It's like I don't know if this was somebody in the church or not, but anyway, I saw somebody post on uh, Instagram a while back and it was hilarious to me because they were really serious. And I I have a weird, sarcastic sense of humor. And uh, anyway, they posted, it was this meme that said, Lord, take away all my laziness today. (laughs) And I just busted out laughing. I'm like, really? Really? So you're just going to sit back on your couch with your TV remote and say, God, I can't even get up. I'm so lazy. Would you just take away my laziness it's like well if he if he did if he zoomed down onto your couch and said all right here let me take that laziness then what are you going to do but you're gonna have to get up and do something but as soon as you go to get up you're like i don't really don't want you're going to take it right back from him it's gonna be tug of war with laziness because god doesn't take away laziness Instead, he gives you a purpose and a mission and something that overcomes, that's greater than your, than your desire to do nothing. He gives you a something that's bigger than your nothing, and he asks you to pursue it. He asks you to do it. And so some of the, some of the prayers that just that don't make a lot of sense are, Lord, take away my laziness. Lord, Lord, take away, Lord, give me patience. And Lord, make me humble. Because when you are having intentional humility, you've missed the whole point of humility. Humility is not the result of deciding to become humble. Humility is the byproduct of seeing things the way God does. It's just the byproduct of seeing life the way that God sees. If you could see you the way God sees you, you would not be proud and prideful about you. Now, you would, you would be hopeful about you. See, this is, this is the problem with false humility or forced humility. All the while that you're telling yourself you're so awful and you're so less than other people and everybody can do stuff so much better than you, and you're trying to make yourself humble, what you're doing is you're beating yourself up. You're condemning yourself, and God never does that. So God sees you, and he sees great hope. He sees a future. He sees a plan for you. He sees potential inside of you. He sees so much in you that your pride actually doesn't want you to see because that makes your pride feel prideful. So your pride will keep telling you that you're an awful person, you're terrible, you can't do anything right while it's trying to be humble. But if you would just see you the way that God sees you, number one, you would have a better opinion of yourself. And number two, you would have a greater opinion of your God. Your true humility is seeing God, the way that God sees Himself, and seeing us the way that we see ourselves. And you see not how little you are, but how big God is, and how good God is, and how amazing God is. And so forced humility, intentional, sometimes the intentions of man is the
1: enemy of the Holy Spirit. We,
0: we, 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 we our pride hears the fact that, oh, ooh, pride is bad. So, all right, so we got to get rid of this real quick. Because that's what pride wants. Pride wants to be perfect now, make me perfect, maybe make me step out and be. And God's not concerned about that. Instead, God will take the long route. Uh, Moses. What did Moses say that he was? Scripture says Moses was the most humble man. Look at his route to humility. Look at those 80 years before he started his ministry. God will take the long route to humility. When I was uh, 15. you know, I, I grew up in the church. I was saved when I was six. I never did all kinds of you know bad stuff, and so naturally, growing up being being a religious person lends itself to pride, and God knows that. And so this is why this is a perfect message to church people. Uh, everybody watching online, it doesn't apply to you. You all right here, the guys who sacrificed to be here on Labor Day weekend. Let me let me slap you. Uh, it, it, And you'll be better for it. Uh, it, Pride, it it lends itself. The more accomplishments, the more you sacrifice, the more you give, the more you serve, the more you do, the more natural it is to think, man, okay, hey, I'm pretty, wow, things are going pretty well. I'm doing pretty good. So I'm 15 years old. Things are going pretty well. I'm doing pretty good. And I remember we were we were in the basement of our church with kind of like a lot of our like four four families from the church. We were doing we're doing this. We're doing work together. Our, Our pastor couldn't afford a full time salary. So we were helping him by 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 doing these auto parts and putting them together and raising some extra money for our pastor. And so we were, you know, doing good works. And it's really easy to get prideful when you're doing good works. And so uh, the teens are down on one end of the table, me and Peter and uh, a couple of our friends were, were down there, and the adults are on the other end of the table. And my mom calls me out on something, and I've always been kind of a smart aleck. I don't know if you've noticed that, but uh, I've always been a little sarcastic. And so I shoot back with something else. And, you know, I'm 15 years old, testing the boundaries, kind of figuring out going. And my mom doesn't. Apparently, she doesn't like boundaries being tested. Uh, later on that night, uh, the Lord convicted me, and my mom convicted me, and uh, and I and I apologized to her. I said, "Mom, you're right. I, I shouldn't have said that. It's disrespectful. I'm sorry." And she said, "Okay, you know, I I forgive you. It's good. But now you need to call everybody that was there in the room that heard you." <laughs> So that night, this is, this, is, this is before cell phones. We didn't have speed dial, I had the, old, the old, you know, Rolodex, and you had to look at people's numbers. And so I call up Justin. I call up John Ulrich. I call up his wife. I call up, you know, I call up all these people. And I say, man, tonight, you know, this is what I said. You heard me. Everybody heard me. Half of you laughed. And, uh, <laughs> but it wasn't right. And I just want you to know that I'm sorry. And I call up my friend's. Tell Peter, look, look, you wouldn't have to try to get humble if you would just repent the way that God says to repent. If you would just really, actually, truly repent, your pride would go right, I mean, everybody that you've wronged, Everybody that you've stolen from, if you actually made amends, if you actually went back and confessed the wrong and paid back what you stole from them, if you actually, the people that that you had wronged, if you you tried to make it right, trust me, there's no room for pride when you've called 13 people in an evening and said that you were disrespectful tonight and that you're sorry and that God's convicting, God's growing you and you're trying to do better. It's impossible to hold on to. It's, it's, it's an oxymoron to say, I'm trying to be humble. It doesn't make sense. If you're trying to be humble, that's because you haven't really repented. If you're trying to be humble, that's because you haven't really made it right. If you're trying to be humble, it's because you haven't really gone back and told the people that you hurt and told the people that you wronged, you're sorry. It's true repentance, man, will cut at this fake, at this false, this forced humility. You won't have to fake it. You won't have to force it. But man, when you're looking to people, because people are looking on the outside and they're like, yeah, but yeah, but do they, do they act humble? And, and, and if you're watching, if, if people are the referee of the the referee of your life, it won't matter what's going on in your heart, just as long as they don't see the call, as long as they don't see the mistake, the penalty. And so as long as they keep the flag in the, in their pocket, they're good. And the only way they're going to keep the flag in their pocket is based on what they see. That's what Paul said. He said they they are constantly talking about the stuff that they have seen. And they have carnal minds, or they have worldly minds. They're, They're focused on the things of this world. They're checking to make sure everybody's checking off the stuff on the list, that they're doing right, and acting humble. And so if you're constantly watching the human referee... Even if that human referee is a good person, but if you're constantly looking at their response, you're going to gauge your, your, your health, your heart health, based on their outer response. And all they see is this out here. All they see is this out here. And so true humility, true, true humility won't get so offended at people. Because the reason we get so offended at people is because if they, if they start telling other people who we really are, Folks are going to start throwing flags at us. That's why we don't like people actually saying things. But the truth is, there was an, there was an old preacher one time. He was, saying, he, was saying, he was saying, man, he said, when people gossip about, you, gossip about you, just be thankful that they don't
1: know the half of it.
0: All they know is what they've seen, which is kind of what you want people to see. But if they knew, and, and this, this old preacher, he's passed away now, but he stood up from a large group and he said, Man, if you knew what was in my heart, if you knew the thoughts in my mind and the ambitions and the sin and the pride, if you knew me, if you really knew me, you wouldn't listen to me. He, he let that awkward silence kind of fall in the room because everybody wondered, Should we head for the door? Or <laughs> And then he said, And if I really knew you, if I knew the intentions of your heart, if I knew the thoughts in your mind and the fantasies that go on, if I knew you, I wouldn't bother
1: speaking. Why?
0: Because when you have human referees over your life, you forget about the grace of God. And the truth is, it's only God's grace that empowers me, that empowers you to hear from me, because I'm flawed and I'm human and empowers me to speak to you because you're flawed and you're human and God knows us and he loves us anyway. The only one who fully knows us also is the only one who fully accepts us and relies on his grace. He asks us to rely on his grace and his power. Uh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was so cool. Last week we met, we met with a couple after church and we've been doing couples counseling and she was sharing with us about the power of the trap sermon when i talked about the traps and how and how i I had that list of different traps and she said she had circled one of them because that was her trap and she said at first it was a bummer to realize that she is who she was afraid she was but she said almost immediately as soon as i came to grips with that it there was this the this weight that was lifted now I don't have to try to be anything else. I am who I was afraid that I am, but Jesus loves me anyway. He knows me and he loves me and he has a plan for me. And now I can rely on his grace. I can rely on his power. I can, if he's the ref in my life, he's the one I'm looking to at the end of the play. Did I do that right, dad? Did I, did I, did I, did I I make that play the way you wanted me to make that play? It's good to have human coaches. It's good to have humans who come alongside you and say, "Man, look, this, this could go better, and that could go better." But man, there's got to be one referee in your life, and it' better not be a person or a group of people or a denomination or a church or a pastor. It better be the peace of God. You have this you have this, this forced humility, but you also have a forced or self-imposed worship, he says. I think it's verse 20 that he says, "There's a self-imposed." worship. Now, what's interesting, what's really fascinating to me is that that word self-imposed worship, it's basically the word worship with the word thelos in front of it. Thelos is the word I told, told you about before to be intentional. So again, Paul uses the exact same word, the exact same word to say worship is good, but intentional worship is not good. Which is so weird to me because I grew up in, a, in, an, in, an, in an age when, when, when worship music became a profitable business. And so everybody's talking about, man, you just got to make a decision. I'm going to worship. And, 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 and there's some truth to that. But Paul says there's something dangerous, though, about forcing yourself to do something that ought to come natural. He said, look, if you are deciding to worship, if you're planning to worship, if you are willing yourself to a place of acknowledging the goodness and greatness of God, then you have not actually seen the goodness and greatness of God. Because when when you are in a relationship with God, there are certain things you just do naturally. That's also true in a marriage relationship. When you are in love, there are certain things you do naturally. And if you have to force yourself to do those things, guess what? You're not in love. You might be committed to that person. You might have a commitment. You might want to stay together for the kids. You might want to have a home for the kids to go. But if you have to force yourself to go on dates, if you have to force yourself to send loving text messages, if you have to force yourself to say sweet things, if you have to force yourself to do the things that you used to do accidentally without planning, without scheduling it in, without putting a reminder on your phone, that is a sign you're not really in love. And Paul says, man, if you have to force yourself to worship God, if you have to force yourself to read your Bible, if you have to force yourself to pray, you're missing something here. Now there are seasons where, you know, you have to... Sometimes you don't feel it, and you do it anyway. And there's, there's truth to that. But Paul's saying, no, these guys are checking your worship. And if you're not worshiping right, and if you're not worshiping enough, and if you're not worshiping long enough, and if you're not worshiping daily, and if you're not then they're going to throw the flag. And so now we got a log 15 minutes in the morning. Now we gotta, now we got to make sure we get through the Bible in a year. There's nothing wrong with doing those things. But when you're doing them because somebody's looking over your shoulder, when you're doing them because this is your righteousness, when you're doing them because this is going to make you appeasing and appealing to God, now you have forced worship. You don't have something flowing. There ought to be flowing worship. Forced worship. Worship, once again, is a result of seeing the greatness of God. It is a natural result is why, you know, there's no song in the world that can do it. There's no worship leader in the world that, that, can, f- that, can, that can flip the switch and get you to truly worship. Now, you can go to a concert and, and all the notes played perfect and, and all the singers are amazing and, and you feel the, the something and so, so you do the acts of worship. But if it's not from your heart, if it's not, if it's not a natural response, it's even when the music is off.
1: You haven't really worshiped, you've forced worship. That's what is so heavy when humans have the flag. There's another option. There are people that can be the referee in your life, but then there is the peace. And when the peace of God is the umpire or the referee in your life, he does still throw flags, by the way. I don't know if you ever had God throw a flag on you, but, uh,
0: <laughs> but, but you want him to. You're not going to know what's out of bounds if nobody ever blows the whistle when you step out of bounds. You're not going to know how to score a touchdown if nobody ever tells you where the, where the goal line is. If nobody, ever, if nobody ever draws this out for you and speaks to you, you're not going to really know if you're making any progress, and so, and so while it's great to have humans who sometimes are like, oh, yeah, that's fine, run over there and run over there. And, and uh, you know, hey, look, you could be wide open if you just went behind the, behind the stands and just, you know, just, just whatever, make up your own play. That's wonderful. But you don't have the joy of actually competing in a game that means anything. You have the XFL. I don't know if any of you guys are old enough to remember the XFL. Oh, it's coming back. Anyway, um, Andrew Luck's going to be in the XFL. I don't know. It's like, you know, it's craziness. It's just like, you just do whatever you want. But no, the rules, if, they, if they're properly administrated, help make us better. So you want the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin. Not condemn you, but convict you. When he throws a flag on you, even, even though you have to go back five yards, Talking football. This is the football opening weekend. I'm just going to be talking football all day long. Even though you might get a flag, you know, it throws the flag and you got to go back five yards. And you're like, man, I thought I had all the, I thought we were, now it's first and 15. Look how far back I am. And I don't know if you ever noticed this, but usually when somebody gets like a holding call or something and they go back five yards, you know what happens? That guy goes to the bench. Even if it's just for one play, so that the coach, can upskill him so that the coach can say okay look look, here's here's the deal man like you, you 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 can do this but you can't do this right you can you can run with him you just can't push him when he's about to catch the ball you know what i'm saying and so he he he's he's he's, he's not in timeout he's on the sideline with the coach and sometimes the holy spirit will say man you need to get with the coach you need to you need to you you need to be a part of this group right here you need to be honest with them and they're going to help you because they've been in the same place you are almost every coach has also been on the field at one time he says like "I, i know what it's like to be out there and i'm not condemning you we lost a few yards on the play but it's nothing we can't make up Right? we can make up those yards. We can get the first down, it's okay, but you need to learn how to how to run your route. You need to learn how to how to play with excellence. And so sometimes a flag is some of the best things that will happen for you because the Holy Spirit will convict you, and you had been thinking along this route, and you had been living along this way, and you didn't know that's why you're getting all these negative consequences. But then the Holy Spirit comes in and he convicts you, not condemns you, but he throws a flag on your arrogance. He throws a flag. He'll throw a flag on everything that will destroy you. That if left to itself will eat you up. He'll throw a flag on your bitterness. He'll throw a flag on your unforgiveness. He'll throw a flag on your addiction. He'll throw a flag on your sin. And he's not trying to condemn you, even though it feels like it, because it's like, man, we were on the 40-yard line. Now we got to go all the way back to the 50-yard line. How are we ever going to make this up? Well, look it's more important that you learn how to play it's more important that you that that for the the whole team yeah the whole team suffers 10 yards for one guy but if that one guy learns what he needs to learn the whole team is going to get better the whole team is going to be unstoppable fortunately with the lions we just kind of keep Going to the coach, we talk to him a little bit, he pats us on the back, and we go back out there. And I don't know that we're learning what we need to learn, but, uh, but man, if you, can learn, if you can walk through conviction and not reject it. Look, one of the worst things you can do when the ref throws a flag on you is take off your helmet and start yelling at the ref. Because now he's going to throw another flag on you. And you're going to be way backed up. If you, if, don't argue with the ref says, Bryant, don't do it. Don't argue with the ref. I know you think you're right. I know you're passionate. You know, that's all, that's good. My goodness, just just, just take it and let's learn from it. Let's get better. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Even when he corrects us, he's gentle, he's kind, he's loving. He's not like people. When people throw a flag on you, they also berate you. They also ask, how could you be so stupid? They also are so concerned that you made a mistake, and that's just the worst thing ever. But when a ref, when a true ref throws a flag, that's his job. He actually gets to do what he was, he's getting paid for. So you want the ref of the Holy Spirit to bring some conviction into your life, to speak to your life. Psalm 139, uh, verse 23 says, Search me, O God. You want that? You want the ref of the Holy Spirit to step into your life and search you and throw a flag if something's not right. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me. Why? So that you can lead me in the way everlasting so that I can get beyond this mess and I can step into the next level of what you've called me for. So go ahead, throw the flag. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, fine. We'll go back five yards. It's okay. My homes can make that up in like, you know, with his eyes closed it's all good the holy spirit can make that up with his eyes closed one play man and you can be in the end zone i mean god's not concerned about first or second and 15 or, or third and 20. god is concerned about you being searched and being led in the way everlasting this is what he says search me oh god and lead me in the way everlasting god will throw a flag holy spirit the peace of god see peace is trying to protect peace so peace will throw a flag on you in something that will disrupt your peace. That's what he's trying to do. He's like, whoa, that's going to mess up our peace. That's going to mess up your home. That's going to mess up your marriage. That's going to mess up your future. Stop that. Just, 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 just throw a flag on that. Let's Take a few yards. Let's think this. talk this thing through. Let's get better at that. He's trying to protect the peace of God. You're missing peace. It's probably because you've been ignoring the flags of the Holy Spirit because the religious guy over in the corner, he hasn't thrown his flag yet because it hasn't bubbled up into the surface where it's annoyed him yet. The Holy Spirit's not annoyed. He just sees the root of the thing. He says, ah, let's deal with that. Let's deal with that right now. Take time out. Let's just, just calm down. Let's, t- let's huddle up. Huddle up with other Christians. That's why the small groups are so important because we huddle up, man. You say, well, I'm not. Well, I'm not, I'm not crashing and burning. I'm not doing awful. Well, that's fine great. That's wonderful. If you're doing great, you need to be a part of a huddle. You need to get in that huddle. Because all of us are prone to not do great. All of us are prone to make mistakes. And so if we're in a huddle and we're with other believers, then even when we do make a mistake, you, you get in a huddle before the play, okay? So before you make your mistakes, let's, 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 let's huddle up so that we know that even after you make a mistake and I make a mistake, we're still on the same team we're still moving forward and there's somebody there to encourage us because if you're not careful man you throw a flag on you and you feel so bad and then you wander off back to the locker No, man you were in the huddle before the play you get to get back into the huddle it's all good we're gonna learn from this we're gonna get better and that's what the Holy Spirit does the Holy Spirit throws flags of conviction he searches us but but this is this is what I've found this is so encouraging to me that the same Holy Spirit that will throw a flag on you if you let him will also throw
1: a flag for you because it goes both ways you want a referee in the game because one you want to get better but two you want to keep your enemy from cheating
0: (laughs) this is by the way this is how the Lions get first downs by the way this is how it works Matthew Stafford sees somebody messing with his wide receiver, and he just throws in that direction. It doesn't matter if he catches it or not because it's pass interference. You're going to get the first down. I'm talking football for you ladies, but, it's, but a lot of you ladies know what I'm talking about. Longhorns doing good. We got it. And, 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 but you, you it, like, okay, so, so if the quarterback is under center and he hikes the ball and maybe he sees the defense jump off sides, the ref will throw a flag. Now the quarterback knows he has something called a free play. When the the flag falls, he's got a free play, meaning he can do whatever he wants. He could fumble, he could run around to the other end zone and score for the other team, and that's not going to count because it's a free play. There's been a penalty. The defense is going to be penalized. So usually, he just tells the guys to run to the end zone. We're just going to throw it up there. If they catch it, woo, it's a touchdown. If they don't, it doesn't matter. If it gets intercepted, it doesn't matter. It's a free play. Man, when, 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 when your enemy comes against you and the Holy Spirit pulls out his flag, You got a free play. I wish you could understand the value of opposition. Value of opposition that cheats, that plays dirty. So valuable. A little while ago, there was somebody who's gossiping about me. Actually, not no, not not gossiping, but lying, making stuff up. And uh, I'm sure none of you have ever had that happen. You've never had anybody. And I don't mean like stretching the truth. I mean like, like Trump's inauguration size numbers, kind of making stuff up. You know what I'm saying? Like, here's the pictures. Here's those pictures, and oh, this is bigger. I don't, I don't know about that. You know, and not that he's the only, not that not that his administration is the only one that's done that, but you know, no. I mean, just 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 pulling out figures, just making stuff up. But and I say that because I think people often don't expect people to just straight out lie. They usually think they're stretching the truth, or they call them, you know, crazy if they're lying. No, it's not. It's, it's, lying is a sin just like every other sin. Some people struggle with stealing. Some people struggle with envy. Some people struggle with lying. They just make stuff up. And, and for them, it's very easy to, to believe what they're saying because their version of truth is kind of fluid anyway. And they're just like, okay, we're good with this. And so, and so it's tempting, though, when people are lying about you to run around and try to defend yourself run around and go around to all the people and say, no, 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 that's not true. This is true. Look, I got this. It's really easy to try to defend yourself. But I'm telling you, this is, this, this is one of the worst things you could do when somebody comes against you, and it's not the person, it's the enemy. Using a person's weakness, using a person's sin, try to take you down. Now, if I was concerned about human referees, then I would have to go to each of those refs and say man you know that's not true this is true This I'd, I'd be running myself crazy
1: but because I'm looking at the referee of the peace of God when there's
0: gossip or lying going on he throws the flag and the worst thing you could do is take it personal and get frustrated throw off your helmet and try to defend yourself because you know what happens that same Holy Spirit that threw the flag On that person, they're going to throw the flag on you. And then it's something called offsetting penalties. Meaning that you don't get to experience the benefit of having been affected because you, in your reaction, tried to defend yourself. I, I think a lot of us are experiencing offsetting
1: penalties. We never get to experience being gossiped
0: about, lied about. Because, because we're all too busy taking off our helmet, getting all upset about it. And we get a personal foul on us, and then there's a foul on them. It's offsetting penalties. But man, I'm telling you what, ever since like, that started happening, God just started blessing me, just personally, and us, and our family. Not because we're doing anything, but because, but because the flag had been thrown. We get 15 yards and a first down. No, seriously, Psalm 17, David understood this really well. David prayed, he, he leveraged the flags that were thrown on his enemies for his benefit all the time. You ought to do this in prayer. You really ought to do this. Psalm 17:1 says, Lord, hear my just plea. Pay attention to my cry, listen to my prayer since it does not come from lying lips. Justice for me, he says, will come from your presence. <laughs> You're the one throwing the flag. So you will get justice for me. I'm not going to get justice for myself. Justice for me will come from your presence because your eyes see what is right. Can I just tell you, the referee of heaven doesn't miss a thing. He doesn't miss a single hold, a single pass, interference call. He doesn't miss a thing. When we when we bought a house back in how long ago was that? We bought that five acre house in San Marcos. So it, was, it, was, it, was, it was out toward Wimberley about eight years ago. It was a while ago, and it was our first kind of property that we actually invested in. All, ever since we got married, we've been flipping homes, like buying trash, junk homes, and fixing them up and selling them. Um, and uh, Peter has helped me with that, and my, my parents have come down, my sister, and we've kind of remodeled the house, lived in it for a couple of years, and, then, and that's how we've afforded to be ministers you don't get paid a lot in ministry. And so uh, you get part-time wage for for ministry, and then then you flip a house every couple of years, and it helps. And so that's what we've been doing. So we we, we invested in a house that was really ugly, uh, but it had this big property. And Roe just worked her tail off. I didn't, but Roe worked her tail off, turning that property into a horse property. And we hired this guy uh, to build a fence, to use the cedar post from the trees that we had cut down because so much cedar and we're allergic. So we're like, let's get rid of some of these and let's use that to fence out the property. And so we hired this guy and he was kind of down on his luck. He was struggling with some things and we, and we reached out, we helped him, he He had to go to the dentist. We paid for him to go to the, he couldn't afford to go to the dentist. And so he was kind of in a tough place in his life. And so he was building the fence and he got halfway done. And he said that he wanted to get paid the rest of the money to do the second half, the $3,000 for the rest of the job um, before he had finished the job. And because I'm full of the love of Jesus and the grace and mercy of God, I said, no way. (laughs) Why would I pay you before the job's done? Like, this, is not, this doesn't make any sense. Like, I've paid you half the job, you finish the job, then I pay you the second half. But Roe,
1: <laughs> the bleeding
0: heart that she is. Um, no, he, he talked to her. He convinced her to go ahead and do it. And by the way, I can't, be, I can't blame her because I've made some mistakes as well that have cost us a lot more money, actually. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not throwing her under the bus. She decided to trust him, which is something that we do occasionally, you know, trust people. And so she decided to trust him. And so we went off. We were going away on a, on a week-long trip. We came back. The guy was gone, and there was no fence. It was half, halfway done, you know. Bro had to, like, do the rest herself, and we were out $3,000. And uh, we worked through that, marriage counseling. We dealt with it. You like I say, I I, forget, I had to forgive her quick, because otherwise she'd mention stuff that I did, and I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. Uh, she'd bring up some of that. and I'd, I'd probably bring it up myself. I'd throw the flag on myself. I'd just throw it. So, no, we were fine. But it kind of irked me a little bit, you know? Because 3000 is a lot of money for me. Uh, that, that was almost everything we had in the bank. And so it was, that was tough. Uh, that was in, I think, September or... No, that was a spring. And so about 8 months later, we were in Michigan um, on vacation for Christmas visiting family and uh, we had gone I remember we had gone to Chicago and I was in the Hancock building stepping into the elevator. I remember it so clearly. And the Holy Spirit just out of the blue just threw a flag and 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 spoke to me and said, "Do you want do you want me to make the guy's name, do you want me to make him pay you back the $3,000?" And it was just so clear. It was it was just the Holy Spirit, boom, threw the flag. He's like, I see that you got you got you you, you got wronged. We stole three thousand dollars from you. He said, you want me to make him pay you back the three thousand dollars? And so my first thought is,
1: yeah. But I, you
0: know, I've learned to think things through a little bit. I said, well, you know. Then I thought, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know. Jesus is up there on the cross and he doesn't make anybody pay him back. And I'm like, man. And so, and so I thought of this passage and others like it where David said, I want justice, but I want it to come from you. And that's why I said, I said, Lord, look, you, you and I both know he doesn't have that $3,000. The way he's living, he'll never have that much money at one time for very long. It's just. So I said, look, whoever he'd steal it from to give it back to me, that would not be good. Besides, what can he give me? $3,000. I said, but you, you have a lot more than $3,000. And I have some emotional damages. You know, like whenever they do do those lawsuits because they spill something on themselves from McDonald's. So I said, hey, I got some emotional, I'd like some interests. I'd like some compound interest. It's been eight months, Lord. It took you a while. That's a late flag. It took you a while. I need some interest. I, I would like, I don't know, 10 times that. You got it. You, you, you got the cattle on a 1,000 hills. Like, you own everything. I want, I want a lot. 3,000 is nice. That's a good down payment start. But, but really, there ought to be some, I mean, I'm your son, and your son got stolen from. Come on, aren't you going to do something? So I just began telling God, I want justice to come from you. You pay me back. And he just kind of smiled. I felt him just smile. Okay. So uh, that, that was the end of it. That was the end of my prayer. It's so easy. Can I tell you, it's so easy to forgive people when your dad says, it's all right, I'll, I'll cover it. Insurance has got it. Your rich dad, he's going, he's going to take care of the car. He's going to take care of the house. It's all good. Rich dad's got it. And so it's so easy to walk in forgiveness, to just be like, no, dude, you don't owe me anything. In fact, please don't pay me because my dad's going to pay me and uh, you'll mess it up. I want my reward to come from him. And so uh, that was December, and then January, God called us to plant City Chapel, and we began planting City Chapel. A year later from that January, we launched City Chapel, and we're still living in Wimberley, nearly Wimberley, uh in san marcus and we're driving an hour each way to meet people coffee and all the pastoring all that stuff and we're like god like can we get a house that's closer i know it's everything's expensive up here but can we just and so we began praying into that and ro found this found this property which i thought was trash and um she thought was wonderful uh, it's a property we currently live in and it was it was way more than we could afford and really we couldn't get a loan and it was owner financing, though. And so the owner had cash offers for what he was asking, and we offered him 100000 less than that. And we said, well, if you finance, and if you give us this interest rate, and blah, 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 we'll be able to do it. And he took our offer because we were actually going to keep, it, keep horses on property and just live there, and these other guys were going to be investors. And so he took our offer. He said, but you have to close within 30 days, and you have to have $100,000 down. And we said, all oh, right, sure. We got $1,000 in the bank. This is going to be awesome. But like I said, we've always flipped properties. And so this property that we had gone into, we spent about $20,000 to fix it up. We thought we'd make around fifty, dollars what, what we were planning on. 50000 would be awesome uh, to make on that property. And so we said, Lord, we've got to make double what we were hoping on a really wonderful favor of God kind of day. And so that was Saturday night, Sunday morning we have church, Monday morning I'm putting it on the MLS, and somebody comes to the house and says, hey, we heard you're selling the house, can we look at it? And Roe shows them around. They're like, how much are you asking? And she says, how much we need? And they say, sure, we'll do it, and we'll pay all the fees, and we'll pay all the, just everything. And 28 days later, we close, they hand us a check for $100,000, biggest check's ever been in my name, I go to the closing agent for the other house, just hand them that check and say, "Uh, here you go. I don't want to lose it. Uh, Just take it, please. Just take it. And we step into the house because, and God is just like, okay, so now I'll pick up that flag. Good. He got repaid a lot more than 10 times 3,000. I've never done the math on that. I don't know exactly how much times we got paid, but it was a lot more than 30000 Now, it went directly into the next house, but it enabled us to get the house that we're in now, that we're able to minister from and serve from, empowered us to be who God's called us to be. So, I'm telling you,
1: don't waste a good penalty. If someone's coming against you, go to your Father. Let the... Let the ref that, threw, that you allowed to throw flags on you also throw flags for you. Let him defend you. Let him stand up for you. He's so
0: much better at it than you and I are. So much better. So Father, we come before you and I just ask for each, each person here. they have any bitterness in their heart toward anyone, God, may they release it right now. May they release the need to get better, get even, back at. Lord, let, let the referee Holy Spirit, the peace of God, let the referee of the peace of God stand up for us. Stand up in our homes. Stand up in our, in our communities. Let the peace of God be the referee over Texas. So many, so many things going on. Lord, would you throw flags at things that you want to see stop? Things that would hurt us, things that would destroy. Bring conviction where there needs to be conviction. Bring hope. Bring hope along with that conviction like you always do. We submit to you. We allow, interesting altar call, we accept the the referee of
1: God into our heart. The peace of God. Not call the plays. Throw the flags. Wait for you. Amen.